And in this corner, the crusher. Hello, welcome to the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards podcast for the week of August 22, 2011. This is episode 116, and I am Chris Bevelo, president of Interval, or the healthcare marketing agency that puts on the podcast today in studio. I'm joined on my left by... Oh, I'm your left. Jackie Ritackle, <laughs> account coordinator with Interval. Uh, Adam Meyer, creative director at Interval. Brooke Anderson, intern at Interval. Hey, Brooke. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's fun to be back. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll talk, we'll talk to Brooke in a little bit. We have okay. some... Some information for Brooke. We're going to put her on the spot. <laughs> you ready for that? Yeah, I can, I can handle it. Okay. <laughs> First, a couple of announcements. Actually, don't forget. So this week, don't forget. This is a don't forget, yep. This is a don't forget. Don't forget our Mission Happy Hour, Wednesday, at Dave & Buster's in Maple Grove. Hopefully people will fly in from around the country mm-hmm. for that. Uh, for all of our national listeners. <laughs> information on thinkinterval.com. Mm-hmm. Right, we're gonna have fun. It'll have be a super drink fun. And play games. Do <laughs> and some network. trivia. Network's always fun. It is. Yeah. So our network. We make it fun. And then the next day is the Whippermiss webinar: building a brand with wellness with myself and Chris Boyer. Uh, that is at noon. Is that right? Noon Central Time. Yep. Yes. Right. So you can go to the Whippermiss uh, website. We'll provide a link to that for more info. Is that all the announcements we have? We have one announcement, but we'll save that for the end. Another one. Okay. Nothing else? Branding at the bar? Uh, we'll tease them with that. Yeah. Get ready to get your drink and your trivia playing Just on. keep listening to the podcast. and Big time in Phoenix at Shishmid. Mm-hmm. Branding at the bar. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So a couple of, boy, we've got a couple of really good topics, I think. So the first one, again, riffing off the new book that's out, Joe Public Doesn't Care About Your Hospital, available now for purchase, actually, on Amazon in Kindle mm-hmm. version, e-reader version. And the hardbound will be delivered probably the first week in September, near the end of the first week. That's right. Yeah. But you can pre-order that on Amazon. So check that out. You can go to chrisbevelo.com slash public for all mm-hmm. the deets, right? But we wanted to talk about some things, and, and I have a little part of the book that I want to share because it's related to a story that I think says it all. It would have made the book probably 10 pages shorter because I could have just told the story, and that would have been like enough said. <laughs> but this is found, this, this issue is found in Chapter 3, And again, the book is about how do we transform hospital and health system marketing. And chapter three is about breaking bad habits. And the fifth habit is what we call focus group fixation. So we've been talking about this for years. But essentially, let me read from the book uh, to give you the essence of this. When it comes to healthcare marketing, organizations need to stop asking their customers what they think. To many of you, this will sound sacrilegious. Experts implore, listen to your customer. The customer is always right. Be customer-driven. But listening to consumers and asking consumers what they think can deliver two very different insights. Turns out, it's how you listen that matters. The key is not to listen to what consumers say, but instead to watch and listen to what they do. 
That's because research shows that what consumers say and what they do has little or no correlation. So in other words, asking people for their opinions in surveys and focus groups can get you into deep trouble. Uh, And this isn't just our wild hair concept. Uh, There's a fantastic book, which I think I've quoted now a couple hundred times, How Customers (laughs) Think, Essential Insights into the Mind of the Market by Gerald Zaltman. Other books that uh, talk about this philosophy, Biology, B-U-I-ology by Martin Lindstrom, Selling the Invisible by Harry Beckwith, Predictably Irrational by Dan O'Reilly. Okay? So we always say be careful about what consumers say because they're not really qualified for any number of reasons to give opinions. Uh, The book goes on to say, despite overwhelming evidence that asking consumers what they think or want is misguided, hospitals and health systems still do it, and they do it a lot. They ask what consumers think of their advertising, which heart center they would prefer, and how many beds a new hospital should have. And they use the answers to guide their marketing strategies, and that is where we get into trouble. Mm -hmm. Now, that part of the book goes on and on about why this is the case, so we won't get into that. You just either have to buy into this philosophy or buy the book and learn why it's true. But the story that I have for you, I think, says it all. And it was a recent uh, client encounter I had where we had a campaign that was put in front of a consumer focus group, which is very common, right? So you kind of test advertising with consumers. And it's always a scary proposition because you're really asking consumers again to give opinions on things that they don't really understand even how they think. Right. Most folks don't really understand how advertising and marketing impacts them, but if you ask them, they will give you opinions. The problem is those opinions usually don't correlate to what they really think or do, mm-hmm. and that's been proven. So in this focus group, it was for oncology services, and we had one of our concepts use a certain, a certain very stylistic photography Okay, so it wasn't just straight like patient pictures of patients or patient pictures of doctors. It was some really cool photography that we mm-hmm. had come up with. And, you know, not surprisingly, some of the people in the focus group liked that artwork, some didn't, which is, again, what you would expect. Yep. But one of the people there, a gentleman, was pretty, pretty outspoken about how much he did not like the artwork. And he had specific reasons, uh, but again, it's kind of like going into an art gallery and having a group of people look at a exactly. painting and go, what do you think? And half the people are going to hate it and half are going to like it, whatever. So whatever, that happens all the time. Later on in this focus group, this gentleman said, you know, I think I have a good idea for a campaign. Got cancer? <laughs> so his idea was to riff off the... Got milk. Got milk. Yeah. Now... Let's think about that for a second. First of all, I recall before we even, in this agency, we've been around 16 years, we've been focused on healthcare since 2003. Before that, we worked with a small law firm, and they wanted to run advertising that said, got attorney? So 2002, let's say this was. And at that time, I remember saying, no, this is cliched, (laughs) this is overused. That was, what, eight years ago? So. Got whatever is whatever. Whenever I speak about cliche, bad advertising, it's the number one example right. I give. So, so first of all, this idea is so bad and so outdated. Second of all, pretty horrendous. Wouldn't <laughs> Second you think? of all is the obvious. Yeah. Just, yeah. Inappropriate. It's insensitive. It's disgusting. Yeah. 
got cancer? Well, hey, <laughs> we can help you with that. Blah blah. Well, got got milk. AIDS? <laughs> yeah, milk is a positive. I mean, you know, yes. there's right. no negative association with milk. Right. I mean, I mean, how milk. trite <laughs> is that? How bad is that? Unless you're lactose intolerant, Jackie. That's true. There, are, there might be milk haters out there, but I just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's bad. It's really yeah. bad. But it's not surprising. It's what we would expect from Joe Public. Right. Offering advertising ideas. Yet, we, when we ask their opinions of advertising, we wring our hands. Well, they didn't like the photography. What do we do? This is the same dude who offered got cancer. <laughs> so to me, that just in a nice little bow says everything needs to be said. This is why you don't ask mm-hmm. or seriously take opinions from consumers. When, when folks do this, we typically say it's kind of a CYA. So if, if you're showing ads in a, in a market, um, you're looking for things like, oh, you've used the name in your ad of a mass murderer that was here in the 70s locally that like we wouldn't have known or the client right. might not have known. Mm-hmm. It's kind of one of those. But any opinions beyond that, you have to be really be careful. And that's where it gets dangerous because a CEO or physician hears that feedback and all of a sudden it's gospel. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I just thought that's, that's like an example. awesome, awesome example of why you don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think it gets any better than that. It doesn't. I couldn't have paid the guy to say something worse. Could you help me demonstrate why asking consumers to evaluate advertising is a bad idea? Now, there are ways to do it. Uh, there are techniques where you can follow their eyes uh, so you can see where their eyes are going. Uh, you can you know, basically show them an ad and, and get their gut reactions. Some of that's good. Uh, there are ways to do it appropriately, but usually it's just a focus group and you get people giving comments and it can cause a lot more damage. You just have to let them roll off your back for the most yep. part. So when you see the new advertising campaign come out that says, got cancer, you know who's behind it. Because <laughs> <laughs> you will see that soon. No, no. I think we would resign the account before we <laughs> do that. I'd hope so. Pretty amazing stuff. So anyway. Good story. Yeah, good story. So now we have another story that, Adam, you brought forward that is just fascinating. It's, a, it's not a story. It's a blog post by right. Adrian Shaughnessy. Right. Somebody is... Is he English or Irish? Sure sounds like it. <laughs> sounds Irish to me. Uh, and this was in the observatory, Design Observer. Yeah, designobserver.com. Um. Yeah, well, I found the story. It was linked to off daringfireball.net, which is a uh, Mac blog blogger. John which is Gruber. related to elbowskin.biz. Sorry, URL. Is that what you're <laughs> What's that? Are you commenting on the random URL? Yes, or, I am. Um, <laughs> yeah, but he, he'll, he often has his jackass of the week, and this guy earned his uh, jackass of so the this week. This post earned the jackass. Right. Well, the, the guy. Basically. Oh, the guy. Yes, the, the author. I'll tell the Both. title and you set up. The title is The Politics of Desire and Looting. Right. So basically, it's a, it's a story that discusses the um, politics and some of the ideas behind what is the root cause of the riots in London. And if you've been watching the news at all lately, you know that there's a lot of trouble right now in London with um, 
necessarily want to say youth because it's more young yeah. adults, really, I'm guessing, um, who are behind a lot of trouble there right now with rioting and looting. And uh, you see video of buildings burning and, I mean, just like mm-hmm. fire and brimstone over there yeah. in the, at, at night. Uh, well, not even at night. It looks like some, I mean, some of the pictures you see are right in the middle of the day, like the one in this article. But anyway, there's a lot of looting going on. And this article just discusses, um, well, it starts off by talking about uh, who's to blame pointing fingers, but about five paragraphs in or four paragraphs in, it gets to the, uh, his point, which is that, um, well, I'll, re- I'll read that, art- that, that particular paragraph. One group uh, has so far escaped the blame, designers, Hardly surprising. Who could possibly think that we mild-mannered individuals are somehow responsible for murder, theft, arson, and civil disobedience on an apocalyptic scale? And yet, a salient feature of these riots has been the fact that the main target of the attacks has been the shops of the major retail brands of British commercial life. Uh, And it goes on to just discuss how designers should be looking at their responsibility in basically creating things that attra- that are alluring to particular audiences or crowds. Um, it's an interesting article in that I think it is something that everybody, every designer or every marketer should certainly give thought to kind of the potential ramifications of on, on that level of, of the things that they're creating, the things that they're doing, you know, the pros and cons. Um, but that's like 1% of me. The other 90% of me <laughs> thinks this guy is a complete douchebag for writing something like yeah. this. Because it's, it's, it's mostly absurd. It's, it's a strange correlation to, think, to say that the, the look and feel of these brands is what's attracting these people to them. Or this mm-hmm. particular socio-economical crowd. Um, there's so much more to it than that. Because yeah. you could find any number of brands that are not being looted or vandalized. Mm-hmm. And judge the merits of their beauty on, on whatever scale he's using and say, well, these should be, these should be bigger targets than, you know, whatever the targets have been. I don't, it's just, it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre connection. And he really seems to be gung ho about it. And it's, um, I don't know, you should read the article because you, you'll probably at the end, you'll be hopefully shaking your head. If not, well, I don't know. Here's, here's the connection he makes. He says, these young people, so he's talking about the people in the, who are writing, are not poor in the sense in which we understand poverty in the undeveloped world. They have blackberries, fashionable jeans, and cool footwear. But they are poor enough to have a sense of being, to have a sense of being excluded from the great orgy of consumer acquisit- acquit- acquisitiveness. He uses some weird words. That is flaunted in front of them daily. Specifically, they're excluded from the world of desire and consumption created by the brand owners, advertising agencies, art directors, graphic designers, photographers, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, he's basically saying these folks are poor and they're rebelling against what they see as a world that they don't have access to, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's, I mean... What do you do as a designer if you're working for Burberry or Chanel or but are those Foot Locker even, or whoever? Yeah, but are those even the brands? Well, Foot Locker is probably a good, probably an example of one that would have been looted. But I mean, like the other, like he gives the people example. they're rebelling against, would they even shop at Foot Locker? I mean, what I mean, what's the there's that's where there's also yeah. a disconnect yeah. for me. It's like the brands that these that this audience is attracted to is not necessarily the brands that somebody of a higher socioeconomical status is going to, are going to be attracted to, you know? So it's just, it's a, it's a bizarre connection. 
Yeah, it says the principal target was a highly successful chain of shops called JD Sports. It sells fashionable streetwear. Other popular targets included mobile phone shops, electrical goods stores, and outlets of leading UK fashion brands. I mean, I understand like the mentality of these people saying these stores represent upper class, elite. Brit- I just read that England has the greatest disparity in income of any developed country in the world. Meaning, hmm. like, for example, the top really the, even the like- top 5% of people earn like the top 40% of the income. Well, yeah, okay. Or, I guess and, on and that. It's maybe the United States is even worse, but it's England and the United Man. States are right up there, which is this huge. Now, right. we have a bigger middle class, class, but in England, it's becoming more and more of a divide, just like it is in some of the uh, Mid Eastern countries where there's been these. I was going to say India would be mm-hmm. what I would. India, yes. Is probably number one. And a lot of like Saudi Arabia, Tunisia, yeah. all the ones where you saw these riots, it's even greater. You got this huge, huge cohort of people that are poor, especially young people. Mm-hmm. They can't get jobs and employment's mm-hmm. like 25%. So I can see if you're in that place and you're frustrated and there's 25% you know, unemployment and, and you're just ready to finally take the pitchfork and the torch out, right. that you would see these brands. But I don't think it's the designer's fault yeah. or even the company's fault that they are providing these services or goods. It's mainly a fault of greater economic Right. Problems, right. decisions, right. Uh, all kinds of things. I mean, I don't know w- what you take away from this article as a designer. Like, well, now <laughs> I'm not going to produce cool things. I mean, don't be a designer. I mean, you can't do your job. <laughs> right. If if you really if you feel that bad about it, then you have to do something else as a career. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. my my take. There's nothing you can really do. And my guess is there were many brands included in this that would that. The brands themselves consider themselves socially responsible, like a Ben and Jerry's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I doubt that like the writers are going along and they see a Ben and Jerry's and they're like, ah, Ben and Jerry's, they're cool. They help the little guys, so we're not going to burn them. <laughs> no, they, no, they bust in for an ice cream break they before, they, before they, you know, they hit the next uh, uh, shoe store. Next <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's an interesting thing to talk about. I just think the target of his, yeah, and he's not like he's it's a stretch. He's kind of making. He's just throwing it out there and saying it's something we need to consider, but I, I don't know. It, I, yeah, it's one thing to throw it out there as something to consider, but it's one thing to paint devil horns on designers, which is kind of what he he kind of softens it up later on. Um, but at the, but right off the bat, or at least a few paragraphs in, he really kind of just goes over the edge, and that's where he lost me right away. Right. If he would have started from just a greater, let's look at the big picture of how of the role that society plays in this. You know, here's the role that designers play in the in the role of society at large. You know, is one small little role you play that can potentially could contribute to to these things, um, and we should examine it and and you know come to your own conclusions, but instead he comes to pretty dr- dramatic conclusions yeah. and he doesn't really look at it at, at, on a societal scale. He looks at it at right. a direct responsibility level, which is just, which is yeah. not the right way to look at something like this. I don't think it's a little crazy. He ends with this. There really is a price to pay for creating the seductive tropes of modern commerce. <laughs> We've seen what happens when you create a beautifully manicured world of desire and then say to a big chunk of the population, no entry. Seductive, Seductive design is emphatically not the main cause of the riots, but it's a contributing factor, and we'd be dishonest to deny our, our part in it. And maybe that's the difference between the United States and, and England. I mean, here we really, really culturally believe that no one is theoretically told no entry. Now, of course, the reality is you're born to poverty. 
no entry is probably the label you're going to have, but nobody's explicitly doing that. Right. And culturally, we all believe that you have an opportunity to build yourself up to a point where you do have entry. It's up to mm-hmm. you, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. He says, for some time now, I've watched the emergence of a generation of design students and young designers who don't want to become the agents of commercial seduction. They're looking for a new role, one where social value is the new capital, not the sales charts of brand owners. Suddenly, they seem like the only acceptable future for design. And I would say are probably very much unemployed because (laughs) the brand owners, while they see value in being socially acceptable, they're not in business to be socially acceptable. Right. They're just not. And and especially in this country, that's the way it is. Capitalism is, it should be a component of it, but Mm. you're not going to see this sweeping change where businesses are basically saying, you know, we're here to help the community. Right. Anyway, very interesting. Nor should they be. I mean, businesses, businesses, I mean, look at someone like Target and how much they do give back to the community. They're able to do that because they focus on being a business first and being profitable. Right. That's the only reason they have as much money as they do to be able to give it back. Right. If they were to focus the other way around, they wouldn't have, they would not have nearly the resources to contribute. Yeah. Who that? Wow. That's deep. That's some deep (laughs) social conversation. No? Yes. Jackie's just looking at me like, ah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We have time for one more announcement. We have to get this in. Brooke, it's your last day. Yep. Last day before I head back to school. Going back to the U. U of Michigan? Yes. How many U of M's are there? The other U of M. (laughs) Is there one? I think just two. I'm sure. Is it just Minnesota and Michigan? Oh, is there a university in Minnesota? Well, we said that. Montana. (laughs) Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Every M state. I'm sure there's more. Moorhead? That's Moorhead University. Moorhead. No, that's... University that's of Minnes- Moorhead. That's Minnesota State University of no, Moorhead. No, not that Moorhead. The real Moorhead. <laughs> that is the like real. That's where I went. That's where no. I went to college. That is the real <laughs> Moorhead. What are you talking I mean, about? Like it, I think it's in Atlanta, somewhere in the south. <laughs> that's not... That's less head. Moorhead as in Minnesota. No, whatever. <laughs> so, Brooke, what did you learn anything <laughs> while you were here? Did we teach you anything? Or you're like, well, now I know yeah. what I don't want to do. Well, it actually yeah. sort of has... Something to do with what you were talking about earlier about um, the focus groups. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an experience when I was uh, editor of my high school yearbook where the three editors, I was one of three, um, we had this great vision of what we wanted to do, presented it to our advisor and our publisher, and they were just very confused, didn't think we could pull it <laughs> off. We were dead set on making this happen. And um, I think what I learned here is that you guys are really uh, straightforward with what you want to do, have strong ideas, and then you can pull something together that other people will like. And Mm -hmm. I think that just reinforced the experience that I had. Good. Good. That's good. About as good as it gets. Yeah, I had a similar experience. I I did. um, I was one of the. I don't know what my official title was, but I was one of the yearbook main people for organizing and helping pull together ideas and everything. And, um, we had, we had a lot of pushback on our ideas from the, um, God, this is a long time ago. <laughs> um, but we had a lot of pushback from like the, the actual, what's the company that prints the yearbooks typically? Jostens? Jostens. Is that it? Yeah. Typ- I mean, maybe yeah. there's other ones, but I think they're typically the one yeah. who does most of them. So their rep was like, just up in our grill about our ideas. Like, Oh, you can't do that. You have to do it. Like you, like everyone always does it. And we're like, what the? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah so anyway that was my 
So Adam Well, from what pain. little I remember of that experience 18 yeah. years ago or however long it well, was. Well, we like to say that the best way to kill a good idea is run it through a focus group mm-hmm. or yeah. run it through committee after committee where yeah. it gets so watered down that it loses the, the power that it had. And I like to, t- I like to, I'm still, I think this is still true. What's the most successful company around right now? Apple. Apple. Apple never, ever, ever does focus groups mm-hmm. for their products. Mm-hmm. They just don't. Lesson learned. They have everyone. a vision for what's going to work because they know the market and mm-hmm. they go with it. And I think they've had a little success. <laughs> a little bit. It's kind of worked so, out for them. <laughs> <laughs> whereas I would imagine some of the other companies that throw stuff out have gone through that, which is why in a lot of cases it's a muddled piece of crap because they've tried to like accommodate all these different people. Mm-hmm. And now you've got this piece, you know, instead of an iPod that's very simple, you've got the Zune or whatever else. <laughs> it's got all this other stuff in it. And Zoom's they try to simple. please Zoom, everybody. Zune is pretty good, actually. Oh, okay. Well, I, would, I, I wouldn't buy one, but I've played with them that. and they're, not, they're good. Right. <laughs> but if you try to please everybody, you please nobody. It's true. And so it's in the book. Go buy the book, but I really emphasize you need to trust in your own marketing instincts and your partner's instincts. That's why we're there. That's why you're there. Mm-hmm. And you need to fight through all that. So I'm glad that came through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, we loved having you with us. Yeah. It was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Best of luck. Best of luck at Thank Michigan. Yes. Stay in touch with us. Mm-hmm. Of course. Join us for a <laughs> podcast again. Yeah. <laughs> and now we can go eat a celebratory lunch. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Hoot, hoot. Hey, she did it. Jackie Finally. did it. On her own, even. Didn't get that out of her last episode. I know. She just refused. <laughs> I know. How to principle. All right. So let's sign off for Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards podcast. This is Chris Bevelo. Jackie Ritacco. Adam Meyer. And Brooke Anderson. We will talk to you next time. Bye.